we have to build the container to do this type of work. And there are two ingredients that teams need in order to exchange the type of information for people to develop in this adaptive way. And it is trust and willingness. Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here with Logan Gelbrick. Logan is the CEO of Deuce Gym. Logan, welcome to My Company Story. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Uh, let me tell the audience a little bit about what Deuce Gym is, and then you can elaborate more on it. It's a, a brand of performance-based strength and conditioning facilities where students receive coaching in a number of different movement disciplines. So Logan, did I get that right? And can you tell us a little bit more about that? How, how many locations you have and, and what the gym's all about? Yeah, that's exactly it. Right now we have three locations and you know, the simplest way to say it is we're, we're a gym. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too much ego about that. We're a gym. We're a place for people to come get fit. Now how that looks is, uh, it's really about a coaching relationship. So people are enrolling in what feels more like um, a greater level of accountability than just a gym where you would pop in with your headphones on and, and kind of do your own routine and leave. And it, it might feel like you're being treated like a college athlete. You come in uh, with a group of people with a sort of common goal and you're, you're really coached at a high level. And so the, the feeling there is that we are developing tangible performance, getting people stronger, more flexible, et cetera. So Logan, is it, is it like a personal trainer that I, that I go in and I have a guy assigned to me that works with me for an hour and that type of thing? Or what's the difference there? That's sort of it, except for you're in a small group. That's why the sort of the team uh, sort of, uh, reference comes in there. You know, the way I sort of look at it is uh, you can eat a great meal, maybe at like a Michelin star restaurant uh, with the food cooked by one of the best chefs in the world, but you're in a restaurant. The model is such that you're enjoying this experience uh, and there are other tables in the room. And that's sort of what this is like. Personal training is great. It's also something that is difficult for, for me to understand how someone could do that sustainably, you know, in, in the United States of America, we've, we've normalized having personal trainers, but we haven't normalized having a chauffeur or a personal chef, right? And it is, it is the same type of uh, demand of one individual's time. And so it's, it's very cost prohibitive, especially if you're going to have a great coach. Oh, I see. That makes a lot of sense. So you, ha you, can, you can be part of a team, spread the cost out among uh, the other people that you're with there and have that really fantastic coach and trainer that's working with this group of people then. Plus, I imagine it keeps you accountable to the group, doesn't it? That's exactly right. The way that we talk about it is uh, the, our reason for being is developing performance. That's the sort of thing that we're after. But the container for that is this community. And so to not have the group would to miss the sort of context in which we're, we're doing this. And, and it's important, I think, that that be a collective thing rather than just one-on-one. -on -one right. No, that makes perfectly good sense. And I can see why that, and, and isn't that, is that what sets you guys apart from personal trainers and from other gyms that are out there? Is, it just, is that the secret sauce? Yeah. So I think, 
you know, it's funny. I, when I talk with other you know, business owners as well, the, the thing that we're often forgetting is uh, exactly the answer to your question. What is the one thing that makes your business compelling? And for us, all of our eggs are in one basket, and that basket is coaching. We devote all of our resources to develop the best coaches on the planet. And so <laughs> the reasons people don't come to the gym are not because of the uh, flashy amenities. <laughs> you know, we don't have uh, a nice selection of cucumber water. There aren't any towels, right? And so the amenity is this coaching relationship. Right. Right. That makes sense. That's great. Now that leads me into your question. How did you, Logan, get into this business? I mean, what was your background of, of making you proficient in doing this uh, coaching model? Yeah, th I think that's a, a great question because my answer is uh, different than most folks, I would say, in this industry, which is I sort of came in through the back door. I was an athlete. Um, I played collegiate and professional baseball. And so I'm arriving in this position of fitness professional um, through the experience of an athlete. You know, I never had the muscle and fitness magazines. I didn't have Arnold's poster on my wall. You know, I, I still don't own a shaker bottle, you know, with the protein powder. That's not, that's not me, you know. And so how I got here was I was learning strength and conditioning from some of the best coaches in the world uh, for another reason. And that was, in my case, to, to play sort of, uh, baseball at the highest level, right? And I, I, I can hold space for the fact that, you know, most people uh, aren't coming to the gym because it's their favorite place in the world. It's not their pastime. They, they want to make their life better. And so that is a, a relatable conversation I think we can have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you came to it from, and you had the experience of being in, in college and then in, in professional sports. You were, were you in San Diego Padres? Was that the team you were on? Yeah, that's right. And I was and, a catcher. And so you had, you had coaches around you and training going on down there. And it's that model that you're bringing to this, to the, uh, to this gym. Is that, that's a, correct? Yeah. I think a lot of, you know, great work, uh, for founders and entrepreneurs comes from some level of dissatisfaction. So you're observing a need or a problem. And just what I observed was there was a completely different conversation happening at the highest level of athletics in this country compared to the conversation that was happening in the fitness business. Tell right? us more and, about, and, tell us about, what do you mean by that? Well, here's how I look at it. The fitness business in the United States is growing every year. We're spending more and more money on this thing. However, our health and performance is declining. And, and it's a multi-billion dollar industry, you know, uh, fitness. And it, uh, some of those billions of dollars are made up from dollars spent, um, you know, buying uh, the things that you see on infomercials that are silly. We know they're silly. We know that this is a fad, right? Yeah. But we are in this hamster wheel and there's an interesting dynamic in fitness where the consumer base tolerates products and services of almost no value on the back end, right? We spend a lot of money for not a lot of results and we mm -hmm. wouldn't accept those results in nearly any other industry. You know, you wouldn't tolerate it if you walked out and tried to start your car and just Four days a week, it just didn't work, right? Right. It, we wouldn't. We would not tolerate that. 
But in fitness, we spend a lot of money and we are very sick and, and there's, a, there's a problem there. And so I wanted to address that problem by, by sort of marrying the general population with what we know about training. And it's not complicated. It's, it's not rocket science. We've, we've had the answers, quote unquote, right. for a long time. Interesting. Um, and so that's where we come in, I think. So would you say the general population then is looking for a quick fix? Like I just want a pill I can take and be better and not have to put in the sweat and all the work that goes into becoming healthier. Is that part of what you see in the general population? Yeah. I often look at things from a system level and I see a system that is set up for a lack of accountability and failure. And what it's looking like in the fitness industry specifically is, you know, the only thing that I think many consumers want more than to be fit and healthy is to be relinquished of the responsibility for being fit and healthy. And if I can pay you, uh, let's say you're a fitness authority who will tell me, hey, you know what, this is really complicated and it's hard. And you know what, uh, we don't always get it right, but for a low, low price of X dollars a month, you can work with me and I'm going to let you off the hook because no one can blame you because you're here, you have a trainer, you're trying, you bought this thing, you're drinking this shake, you're doing your best, right? right? But, but no one's ultimately being accountable to that, right? If you pay a hundred, two hundred, fifty dollars a month to do fitness, it should work, period. Right. That's not too much to ask, I right. think. Right. And so uh, in a weird way, this industry can, I don't want to sound so doom and gloom, but it can prop up um, the leaders and figureheads who will let people off the hook. Yep. You know, yep. fascinating. And, and it's a really fascinating trap. You know, we call these like self-sealing traps. The, the, the characteristics of the industry are sort of perpetuating this, thing where no one's getting what they want right right it's really bizarre yeah so you, you saw a need in that and went in and filled that need now let, let's shift a little bit now and talk about you as the entrepreneur not as the not as the uh, uh, professional baseball player and and catcher but as an entrepreneur you made the shift and decided there's a need out there I know this I know what works and I'm going to bring that to the general population uh, tell us a little bit if you can about the the secret weapon the company culture could have uh, around that then, or what's your company culture and what does that look like now? You know, baseball taught me a lot. And I think this is not a baseball conversation. It's not a gym conversation. I think this is a developmental conversation. And when it comes to development in anything, it looks like an, an iterative process, right? You make an attempt to do something excellent and it usually looks like you don't quite get it right. That's what it looks like when you swing a bat and it doesn't go the way you wanted. It looks like when you launch a company and it doesn't go the way that you wanted. Um, we are all doing this, this process of um, trying to meet a vision. And it's how well you use the margin or the gap between you know, the result that you got and the result that you intended to get. It's how well you use that information that informs your next effort, your next quarter, your next business meeting, your next swing, right? And, and so our secret weapon and the secret weapon that I think any company leader out there can sort of hear from me is 
how interested are you in negative feedback? What we call disconfirming information is how curious you are about how you can get better, which will sort of pave the way for your development, right? And that is a vulnerable effort. It's a difficult thing to do. So for us, how that, you know, to bring this into two feet on the ground is we're a culture that is extremely interested in negative feedback. We've created a culture where it is comfortable, celebrated, sexy to exchange the type of information that will make us better. Mm-hmm. And so what it looks like is employees uh, to employees, you know, a subordinate to a boss, these conversations are hungry and rich for the feedback that will help us improve. And so people aren't searching for you know, the classic compliment, critique, compliment, sandwich, right? This is the language around here is rich in learning. And we notice that the best teams in the world exchange this type of information. You know, the pick your favorite sports team, how they speak to each other in the locker room does not sound like a lot of the low performance, let's call it water cooler talk that we see in, you know, call it a classic corporate America environment. Right. Where in order for me to tell you that I need something a little bit better by Monday, I have to compliment your shirt. I've got to tell you, it's great to see you. How are the kids? That's not how Tom Brady talks to his receivers. Right. And there's a, there's something to learn from that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Interesting. How do you what do you do to bring that in as the leader of the organization? I mean, you are you are running this company of, of, of a bunch of people working for you and stakeholders what what's the misunderstanding about leadership that's out there in the world and what do you do about it personally to, to become that better leader uh, of that team? So the, the classic misunderstanding is that all of our problems are technical. Okay. What I mean by a technical problem, uh, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing the work of a guy called Ron Heifetz um, from Harvard at this point. And he has this view that there are two types of challenges, technical challenges and adaptive challenges. If you believe that all of the leadership challenges in your company are technical, meaning that they will be solved with more information, then we're going to be led astray. And what I'm calling for is a willingness to seek out and address what are called adaptive challenges. And these are challenges that don't have a a clear answer. They cannot be solved with a Google search. They cannot be solved with a, you know, a weekend seminar. These are not technical challenges. And every person listening to this right now has their own host of adaptive challenges. Their team has many adaptive challenges. And these are things like uh, procrastination is a big one, right? You have a team uh, and you have folks that that struggle with follow through. Is there an article that you can read that would convince you to be better about follow through? If I had a, a, a printout of a bunch of peer reviewed studies to explain the benefits of following through, would that change? These folks already know that it would be better if they were better on follow through. They already have all the information in the world that they need that procrastination is not a good thing. So what is it about this issue that is making it show up and impeding the performance of the team? Right. So, so Logan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here and ask you then, as the leader of that and knowing what you just uh, described, 
what do you do about your team that is procrastinating then? I mean, how do you apply that in, in a real life situation? So we have to build the container to do this type of work. And there are two ingredients that teams need in order to exchange the type of information for people to develop in this adaptive way. And it is trust and willingness. Okay, if you have a, a mechanism, and most of the best teams in the world do, to develop or filter for increased levels of trust and willingness, then you can do the work that would allow people to go to their edge, right? Where it is that they fail, where it is that they are uncomfortable. And so for us, that looks like um, a rite of passage, right? Many of the best teams in the world have this, whether it's a certain interview process, you can use extreme examples of military selection processes, recruiting processes for athletic teams, et cetera. And so for us, there is a very ruthless process uh, that filters for this, this uh, willingness to be on the team and this trust in the system so that we can exchange this type of information. And, it, and it usually looks like some sort of rite of passage. Right. That makes sense. Well, that's great. That's a good description of that. Logan, let me shift a little bit here and ask every guest on the show about the challenges you faced and how you've overcome them. And as a gym owner today in California, I mean, my gosh, you've gotten, you know, I mean, Governor Newsom just on Monday said, nope, can't go back to the gym anymore. I mean, how do you deal with that? Or what's going on, especially with COVID-19? How are you dealing with this as a leader of a, of a organization that goes, people, their customers go to the gym? Yeah, it's the biggest challenge that we've faced so far. Our, our business has become illegal, you know, and, and so how do you deal with that? Thank goodness we have built a culture that has, in our ethos and in our language, a desire for negative feedback and disconfirming information, which looks like um, a willingness to sit inside of adversity and discomfort, right? And so uh, for us, leadership is a term that we define as people who are accountable to the results. And so there's a feeling on our team that no one can ever just put up their hands and say, I'm just doing my job. And so when you get some sort of external stimulus and some feedback like we've gotten, um, the reaction is stepping into leadership and solving for X. I am responsible for this and how will that look going forward? And if you have that definition that we have of, of leadership, it's possible to have 10 12, 14, 20, 30 people on your team and all of them be willing to be accountable, right? And so I think a lot of folks during this time in COVID, you get this sort of thing happening to you that's outside of your control and there's a victim mentality. People sit back and they want to be led. And what we're seeing now is a reaction in our team that was an effort unknown to mankind. It, it's been incredible. Uh, what we've done is we've built out a completely new vertical that will change the, the future of the company, revenue-wise, leadership-wise, et cetera. And I think that's only really possible for people to step into that if you create a, uh, an environment where people are willing to try their, their best, to go right. to their, their edge. Right. And, so you're not, you're not accepting this victim mentality. You're being proactive about it, saying, here's reality and let's deal with it. And then you found a different vertical and pivoted in that direction. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you don't, 
if you don't have that in in the the good times, right? When times are going okay, it's it's nearly impossible to turn it it on in times of of failure or times of adversity. And and in our language, there's a separation between result orientation and process orientation. I mean, many people listening to this can maybe empathize with this understanding that if it's a good quarter or a good year profitability wise, everything's peachy, everything's fine. But if things are down, now we're, we're talking about what we can do better. Now we're coming down on our subordinates. Now we are turning up the burners. And that is a results oriented mentality. You can't win baseball games that way, right? How you, you win at the highest level is a commitment to the process. This orientation that, you know, uh, there's a quote we throw around that says, we will not accept in victory that which we wouldn't accept in defeat. Wow. Right? It is very possible to have a great quarter, a great year, a great decade, and be highly passionate and curious about what can we do better? What is broken about our process? What is ineffective? Where are the power leaks, et cetera? And if you have that mentality, it's not a front runner culture. People can try their very best and master what's in their control and fail. Yeah. And that is a great place to work. Yeah. But if your boss is your best friend when things are going well, and he's not your best friend when things are going poorly, regardless of how well you're mastering the things that are inside of your control, that feels unfair. Yeah, that's great. That's great, Logan. Well, that's great advice to pass along to any of the business owners that are hearing that lesson because it isn't about results necessarily. It's about the process, like you mentioned. And you have to have had it in place before that adversity takes takes hold like we are right now. Well, Logan, if there's anyone that wanted to get a hold of you after this show, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I'm on social media at Functional Coach, all one word. Um, our website is deucegym.com and uh and there's D- an article there yeah. D- d-u-e-c-e g uh, g-y-m right yeah d-e-u-c-e-g-y-m.com uh, and then all of our online education stuff is there as well um, we coach coaches all around the world we teach our business principles online all around the world and um you know, it, yes, we are a gym. It's sort of a, an excuse to teach leadership and develop people is really what we do. I love it. That's wonderful. Well, with that, we'll end the interview. And Logan, thanks so much for being on this show. And uh, we look forward to following you in the future. And uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Okay. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week. So please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.